you are an entrepreneur, a professional, a speaker, or a coach, and although you've come a long way, it's time for you to take it to the next level. We've got you. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. We'll help you use authority and influencer marketing to build your business stronger and faster by publishing a book. You'll hear from guests that are thought leaders in sales, marketing, networking, communication, social media, promotion, and business leadership. Let's do it. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. And now your host, the extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder. Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And today I am thrilled, so thrilled to have a fellow publisher with me. And I want to introduce you to Victoria Wolf. Now, her and her husband, Rich, met later in life and have been making up for lost time for the last 10 years. The one love they both shared, food, brought them together and still takes them on great adventures today. From creating a line of gluten-free baked goods to their how-to cooking videos, food is at the center of their lives. And I know this is kind of a strange bio because we're going to be talking about publishing, but... Food may have brought them together, but they do run three businesses, which include book publishing, content creation, and art. So I am so excited because they also live the RV life. So I'm sure Victoria is going to share a little bit about that with us. And I might ask her a few questions. Anyway, welcome to the show, Victoria. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on. So first, Victoria, tell us a little bit about yourself. I shared a little bit in the bio there, but... How did you come to into book publishing? And of course, we want to ask, what is the good, the bad, and the ugly of living an RV life? Oh, okay. Well, I have answers for both. Um, <laughs> I've been a graphic designer for 31 years. I'm in my 31st year. And in 2016, which, what was that, six years ago? So 20-something years into graphic design, I had never done a book. I never thought about it, knew nothing. Um, but I had um, this this friend, she's an editor, and I met her through networking. And one day she reached out and I'd done some other work for her. And she's like, hey, you want to do a book cover? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll do a book cover. I've never done a book cover before. And I did that book cover. It was wonderful. The book won awards. And I was hooked. I was like, where has this been my entire career? And so I slowly um, kind of got out of some of the other types of design I was doing. And so now for the most part, I exclusively do books. I do covers, I do interiors, I do eBooks, I do author websites. Um, I also do some book marketing. Um, so my whole world is authors and books. And to uh, see the good, bad, and the ugly of RVing, we're kind of weird when it comes to RVing because we don't, there's not much we don't like. We love everything about it. I mean, now here's a good example. This will probably encapsulate it all. Today, Rich, my husband was in the shower and they've been working on the water here at this park. We've been at a few weeks. They sent no notice today that there would be no water. And, he, and I'm on a Zoom call, right? And he sticks his head out of the bathroom and said, hey, could you put on the water pump? They shut the water off. So, you know, halfway through the shower, you know, he had no water. So those are some of the things you have to, you know, deal with when you live full time in an RV. But, you know, very minor considering all the benefits of, you know, seeing new places, meeting new people, all these experiences we've had. So, yeah, we we love it. I don't know if my husband and I could survive being together in such a confined space. Mm, that would be interesting. 
That is a concern for many people I talk to. Uh, Rich and I, we've always been good like that. We we literally are together 24 seven and mm -hmm. we are in 400 square feet. My office is here. You can see behind me, that's the, I have a slide like that, except with a desk in it. That's where I am. Our bar, I guess, which is by the kitchen and that's where his work. We're that close to with each other and uh, we're good, but that is not for every couple. Well, I've always joked with my husband that when he retired, he was either going to have to get a part-time job a ministry, volunteer somewhere, or find a whole bunch of new friends because he was not going to be spending 24-7 in the house with me. So I guess that I don't think RV full-time RVing would be for you guys then. <laughs> the funny thing is now, though, my husband's retired. We've moved across the country. He's gone back to school for a second career. And so he is home a whole lot more. But, you know, we have two stories. My office is upstairs. His study area is downstairs. And we're making it work. It's, it's, it hasn't been the way I thought it would be. Oh, well, that's good. I'm glad it turned out better than you thought it would. So, Victoria, I wanted to have you on today because as a publisher, one of the things that I talk to my clients about a lot is their covers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have these discussions because I get their covers. You know, we have a, a designer, we get them. And so we have these discussions around the covers. And some of those discussions are pretty interesting because they have some ideas of what they want on the cover. And I have to have these conversations that go, hmm, yeah, I know that's what you want, but... Yeah, that's a nice idea, but how about we maybe go in this direction? Yeah, I, I have those conversations with my authors as well. And um, I think the most important thing for, for authors to know is the cover has a job. It has one job. And that is to get someone's intention and make them curious, create, you know, create curiosity, interest. That's the one job of a cover. You know, just like the back blurb has a job. It's not to mm -hmm. explain everything that goes on in your book. It's to it's to further that that sale. sale it's a hook. Cover. Yeah, it's a hook. Yeah. And so if you if you look at it from that perspective, you know, you may you know, it's like, I, you know, as I was writing this book, I, I had this butterfly that gave me inspiration and, and I don't mean to diminish butterflies. I'm just, just an example. And I really think I want the butterfly on the cover. That's wonderful. I mean, I wrote a book. I understand how important it is that you are on your cover or your ideas are on the cover, but that butterfly is not going to have the same meaning to a potential reader that it has to you. They're never going to get that meaning unless your yeah. book is about butterflies that might be a different situation. And I, and I think one of, one of or the there's butterfly in the title or something like oh, that. Oh yes, there's something. And then, then you might be in an area of, well, we're a little obvious here. The title has butterfly, you know, what that's a whole different conversation, but as, as an author to be able to let go and let the cover designers, you know, take the lead and, and go in and, and take you in a direction that they know it's going to do well by you and your book. Now, I'm a, I'm a very intuitive designer and I'm also a designer that doesn't, it's not my way or the highway at all. It's a very interactive process between me and the yes. author. So I try to strike that balance for what they want and what I think is going to sell their book. And in, in some, some authors, you know, they love that process. Other authors are, it's a little bit more difficult, but in the end, we eventually get there. For me, cover design is is a process that I don't think many authors understand what they're going to go through doing it, during it. 
um, you start off in the beginning, maybe a little bit defensive or not all of them. There's, there's different situations and you're not sure, you know, it's like, well, I want my book to look like this. And then you go through the process. It's a process of discovery and comparison mm -hmm. and contrast. And then when the author feels that their needs are actually being, you know, listened to and met, and we've looked at that option and maybe that hasn't option hasn't worked, then we get to a cover that they love. It is very, very important to me that every one of my authors mm -hmm. love their cover. Because the last yeah. thing you want to do is be out selling your book and going, oh yeah, 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 here's my cover, here's my book. And you're a little sheepish about it because you're not proud of it. You have to own that cover and be proud of it. But, you know, book covers are not necessarily 100% what the book is about, you know, in, in total. Mm -hmm. it, it's a feeling. If your book cover does yeah. not elicit an emotional response, you're not going to sell as many books. And then these are all partly my opinion and partly you know, kind of industry opinion as well. So. One of the conversations I have with, with my clients is the fact that, you know, there's things that they cannot be emotionally attached to in this process. Mm -hmm. And the cover is one of them. And, and you are correct. Like, usually I try, like my questionnaire, you know, includes questions like what, what colors would you like? Would you, what would you like to see on the cover? But one of the questions that I, I ask them is to go to Amazon and it doesn't have to be a book in their category. It just has to be three covers on Amazon that they really love, that they, they feel reflects their style. And again, it doesn't have to be in the category their book is. And that we found that question has been really effective because then we get a real general sense of what style they're looking for. Cause they can describe it to you mm -hmm. and they're seeing one thing in their mind and you're hearing something totally completely different to you know what they're trying to describe to you so we found that question has been very effective in you know creating a cover that they really like the first time through now usually we create two or three covers and you know we let them mm -hmm. give them a choice before we start the revision process but have you found something like that works for you? Yeah, I have a, I have a few different tactics. Um, I always do a Zoom cover call. It's kind of a cover concept call. Um, I do Zoom. Um, I, I used to do it by phone. Now, I, you know, COVID helped with the Zoom, but I prefer the Zoom because I can really connect with the author and I can read body language when we're talking about things because I am an intuitive designer. And I ask a lot of the same questions. You know, what do you like? What, what do you don't like is probably the most important question. Um, I ask them to look for books that they like and then books in their genre too, because one of the goals too is to make sure that you you don't want to genre bust and, and have a book that doesn't look like you belong in your genre, but at the same time, you don't want to look like you belong in your genre so much that you get passed over because you look like everybody else. So the goal yes. is to always stand out in your genre, but still kind of belong there. The color question, I always ask the color question in case anybody is interested over years of asking this question, the three colors that people say they don't, I always ask what they don't like, not what they like, um, are pink, brown, and orange. Those are the most popular, I don't like colors. Um, even, and um, I don't think I've put pink on a cover in, in the three, almost 300 covers that I've done. Um, but if somebody asked me for pink, if it was appropriate, I would use pink. The, the other thing I do is I probe and I ask a lot of questions in my call because, and I find this with fiction more than nonfiction, many fiction authors do not, they don't look at their book um, from the perspective that I'm looking at. Like I can spend a half an hour with an author and finally get to that little tidbit of information that, you know, Jenny wore an orange dress and that's when her life fell apart. And I'm like, oh, 
orange dress. Okay, so there's something I can I can pull out and possibly you know put a cover around that. And so and and that, that happens sometimes with memoirs. Sometimes there's a there's a snippet or just a little gift in there that the author has but doesn't know they have. Because I like covers that have a little bit of maybe like an Easter egg on there. It's like you look at it, you know, it gives you an emotional response, and then as you're reading the book, you, you immediately flip back to the cover and go, oh. Now I understand. That's what that's yeah. from. That doesn't work for every book, but it's it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. that I can do that. So I want to switch gears just a little bit because we do have some people in the audience here who are, okay, I don't recommend it and I'm sure you don't recommend it, but they may be wanting to either try to do the covers themselves or they're trying to think through you know, what would make a good cover? So I wanted to cover this topic because, well, first of all, it's going to be a a good um, episode for me to share with my clients as they're preparing, as we're getting to that stage in their thing, in their books. But what would you suggest that my audience thinks about? And now these people would all be nonfiction offers. They're using their books to build a business. So what would you recommend that they think about as they prepare to do covers for their books? I think the most important thing is for them to try to step outside of their perspective because they're the author of the book and put themselves in their client's perspective or whoever's going to be buying their book. Mm-hmm. Um, nonfiction books that business people use to help sell the rest, you know, the rest of their business um, are a little bit different because there's usually a branding aspect. Um, if you're if you're a speaker and you're going to be talking and selling books, at, you know, at your talks, you're, you're going to want your book to look like it belongs in in you know in your business. And so that's just a little different. But you can do that in many ways. It doesn't have to have your logo all over it. It can be, you know, maybe some of the similar colors, similar fonts, look and feel. That's where aesthetic is really important. You want to be able to to look at that objectively. And then the most important piece is, you know, what is the emotional response that you that that you want to convey with your cover and kind of come at it from an emotional response or a curiosity. You know, what's going to stimulate people to pick this book up and because you want them to pick it up and flip it over and once they do that, that that's that's your sale right there. That that's what you have. Yeah. Both are, yeah, they'll flip through it, but most people aren't going to read maybe table of contents might convince people. But, you know, you want that book picked up and I, I'd say, you know, be as objective as, as you can. And I think that's hard for authors. And when you're showing friends, colleagues, family, whoever you're showing sample covers, don't ask them, what do you think of this cover? Why do you, you know, what do you think of the, if you say that, what do you think of this cover and what is it, how does it make you feel? Or what do you think of this cover and what do you think this book is about? But the how you how it makes you feel is um, is probably the most important thing, and then you can get some good feedback because that it doesn't matter if the person is looking for a book in your genre or even knows what your book is about. If you hand them a cover and they go, "Oh, this makes me feel a little anxious," and you are hoping for calm and tranquility, then that's really good feedback, or or vice versa. Yeah. And and I think for um, one thing I want to say about nonfiction books for businesses, there's a a lot of authors are very reluctant to put their their picture on the cover because there's like, you know, I'm not, you know, Anthony Robbins or I'm not so-and-so. But if you are an expert in your field and you're going out on the speaker circuit and you're going to be selling books that way, it's wholly appropriate to put your, your face on the cover because that's, you're selling you. And, and I know a lot of people are very wary of that. I just, I'm working on a book now for someone who is very wary of putting his face waist up 
headshot on the cover, but it it just makes sense because he's selling his expertise and and it it would it just wouldn't have worked any other way. Yeah, and I I, I don't think there's a steadfast hard rule in that one. It's it's not that you have to put yourself on the cover, but you can't be afraid to put yourself on the cover either. Exactly. I I've done books that are both ways. Um, you know, some of the books, um, like Selling from the Heart, that's the brand, the person, everyone knows the person behind the brand, you know, and then other cases I've got two female writers, we put their pictures because there's because it was their story. And and so I think you have to look at it from both ends of it. And again, be objective with it. Maybe try a cover with your picture on it and try a cover without mm -hmm. the picture on it and see which one uh, you think would be the, you know, the most um, beneficial in terms of getting uh, your, your message across. Yeah. And I, 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 comparison and contrast are, are two of the greatest tools in cover design um, because what I do for my clients is if they come to with to me with an idea, I'll flesh out that idea so they can see it because they have to know. It's a very exhaustive process, not exhausting, but exhaustive process working with me because I, at the end, I want them to know that they picked the right cover, that they mm -hmm. saw their idea and either decided that was it or it wasn't it, or they saw you know, five, seven different concepts and they know that they're working with, you know, with the, with the most appropriate one. Um, the other advice I would give people who are doing their own covers is um, take a Facebook poll, um, put the three covers in one image, just put one, two, and three, or whatever men they are. Do not in your description say, this is my memoir, or this is my this, and tell everybody about your book. Just say, here, here are three book covers. Will you tell me which one you prefer and why, or which one you prefer and how it makes you feel? And that's going to give lots of feedback that's going to be important. Yeah, I, I do that with my clients all the time. And and the one caveat that I add, end on the I add on the end is usually the one your audience picks is not the one that you love the most. That does happen quite a bit. And then you kind of be, got to be prepared for that. But, you know, you're, you're putting a book out for the market. The market is deciding who are you. I mean, if you want to say, I don't care what the market decides, I'm going to go with what I want. Then don't be surprised if you possibly don't sell as many books as you wanted to. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's a sales process. It's a marketing process, even though it's a book. That's why I tell my clients, you can't be emotionally connected to it. If, if yeah. your goal is to sell books to build your business, you have to create the book the way the reader wants it, not the way you want it. Exactly. Or at least enough to get the, the reader interested to pick up the book. Yeah. Yeah, there's a happy well, meeting sometimes. So. And again, like you said, they have to love the cover. They have to be able to love it and own it. And I, I totally agree with that. But I had some clients who were so emotionally connected to it. And when the results came out the other way, they just, they're like, they couldn't believe it. Like, why weren't people voting for this one? And so we had to have these discussions about the fact that you can't be emotionally connected to it. And, you know, I had one person who decided they wanted the cover the way they wanted the cover. I'm like, that's okay. This is your book. Mm -hmm. You've got to love it. You've got to own it. But for me, the goal is to create a book that's going to sell. So, you know, some of the things you talked about there was strong cover, strong back of the book description. I actually write most of the back of the book descriptions for my clients. I have a lot of other team members who do a lot of other things, but I tend to be the one who writes it, the back of the so book. It's so important. It is. It's make it or break it on a book sale. Something, you know, it's, it's yeah. that important. And, and even the table of contents. Mm -hmm. y your table of contents has to be strong. I find that if it's vague, 
you know, vague chapter yeah. titles that don't really tell what the book is about. Um, if someone goes and looks at that, I mean, I know I've done it. I've opened up a book and the, you know, the table of contents was vague, didn't really tell me what the book was about, why I would want to read it. You know, there was no chapters there that grabbed my attention. I just closed it up. Yeah. And, and readers are looking for something that's specific. It doesn't mean that you have a bad book if somebody passes because they didn't see what they were looking for in your table of contents. It means it's actually a good thing because then you didn't con your book did not connect with somebody it was never going to connect with anyway. So you, you weren't mm. you know, speaking to your tribe. Uh, but it gives people that ability because the last thing you want is somebody to pick up your book thinking it's going to be one thing and it turns out to be maybe slightly, diff slightly different and then you don't get a great review either. So as targeted as you can be, all the things, all these things we're talking about helps you be more targeted and more authentic and, and people will understand whether they want to buy your book or not. And that's always a good thing. You know, you say that and I almost wanted to laugh. When I first got writing into writing books about 10, 11 years ago, I was in network marketing. I wrote books to help my team sell and recruit people. So my books were really clear. It was called Network Marketing Recruiting. How to sell $10,795 a year in MLM network marketing. Wow, that is very clear. <laughs> yeah, I got one, I got a few one star reviews saying the book wasn't what it said it was about. I thought this was about, and I'm like, I'm like, there's always a one or, or possibly more, but I mean, yeah. You can, and I, I just had to laugh at it because yeah. I'm like, seriously? Like, did you not read the title of the book? I could not make it any clearer that this book was about MLM and network marketing. Like, I did not give these books vague names that, you know, to hook to bait, clickbait, right? right. No, I couldn't yeah. get any clearer. And I just, I had to laugh. At that, that, is, that is funny. But I mean, you're always going to get people who want it, your book to be something that it isn't, but hopefully you can diminish that by being more clear. But obviously in your case, and you laugh about it now, which I think is kind of fun. So, well, I think, you know, this is a little off topic for today, but you know, the topic of reviews is you are going to get the occasional bad review. Mm -hmm. And I think it almost validates your book when you do. Because those people who are your true tribe who get your book, they will actually defend the one star reviews because they're like, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. Yes. If and they knew what they were yeah. talking about, they wouldn't be giving this book a one star review. So I tell my clients, you know, have a couple of one star reviews. Okay. Now, if the one star review is, you know, the cover's horrible, the formatting's bad. And the writing is filled with grammar mistakes. Okay, that's yeah, something we pay that. attention to. Yeah, but my yeah. books don't have that. So that's... No. Yeah, those are the only reviews you really don't want. Everybody, everything else is, serves a purpose of, of some way. You know what I love is the three-star reviews. Yeah, it's like it's a little noncommittal. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, you know, some people are more bombastic with their reviews and some people are more reserved. And it doesn't mean that what they're reviewing is it w wasn't great for them. It's just, that's where some people fall. I, it, it's interesting. I watched this one RV um, YouTube uh, show and um, similar to what we do, but different. Um, and they do restaurant reviews all the time. Eights, nines and tens. That's it. I'm, I'm like, that's not a review. <laughs> It's nines and tens. Where's the threes, fours, and fives? Or, you know, even the sixes or sevens. Where are um, the places to avoid? <laughs> yeah, it's like they, that doesn't tell me anything. As a food person, it doesn't tell me anything. But some mm -hmm. people are like that. They they want to stay at the front, you know, the top of the reviews or the bottom or somewhere in the middle. Which... Well, one of the reasons why I like three-star reviews is because they usually give you a reason why they didn't give you a five-star review. Yeah, that, that holdout. Well, I would have given you the four or five if only this had happened or I would have found this. And they're like, oh. 
but but sometimes I find that feedback very valuable. Yeah, that is it is any feedback like that is valuable for sure. Yeah, you know, so I always check out the three star reviews because that usually will show me, you know, what was missing from the book. That little thing that just could have put it over the top. Now, I mean, some of the suggestions you get are just ridiculous. Yes, <laughs> but every once in a while you get those gold nuggets where you go, hmm. Yeah, it can it can make you decide whether to buy it or not buy it or, to, you know, and and a lot of times with three star reviews, you take it. I would take them as a with a grain of salt. And then when I'm done with the book, I'd be like, oh, OK, maybe they were a little <laughs> right. But typically three star reviews are no reason not to buy the book. I don't think um, yeah. just somebody's perception. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, we've got a few minutes left here, Victoria. How about you give me some parting thoughts there that you would love to leave the audience with? Okay, about anything or about books? <laughs> well, let's let's keep it to books because okay. we, we could rabbit trail very easily, you and I. Okay. Um, well, one thing I wish everybody would know that if they're not going to use a um, a designer like myself, um, don't don't go to Fiverr. I've I've had too many Fiverr stories that I've heard, especially um, if you're doing a children's book. Um, Fiverr illustrators are are much less expensive, but they create a whole host of problems. The, Copyright the other... issues. Yeah. And, and they don't, you know, they don't hand over source files sometimes if there needs to be changed. Cause I do children's book layout. I don't do illustration. I do layout, which means I take all those illustrations and sometimes there's a lot of problems with those illustrations. But I I'd say if, if you're looking at where to spend, there's a lot of good places to spend your money when creating your own book. And I would say um, editing is the most important place and then cover would be second. Mm -hmm. um, if you can afford to have a cover professionally created, it's great money, especially if, if you're using your, if you're selling it within the confines of your business, then, you know, it's, it's a business expense and you want it's an investment. It's an, yes, an investment. You, you want the best you can have. Another piece of advice, especially for nonfiction is you're going to want to change your cover up every three to five years just to keep it fresh. You probably will change. You'll probably have a second and third edition. If it's a book that has staying power, that'll help you down the road too. Cause you, you never, you don't want to cover from five, seven years ago. Cause you know, styles change, people change, mm -hmm. tastes change, and you want to stay relevant. Awesome. Thank you so much, Victoria. So if people have enjoyed this conversation today and they want to connect with you, how can they get a hold of you? Oh, I have multiple ways, but I'm going to say from the book world, um, wolfdesignandmarketing.com is the website. Um, we have a portfolio up there of, of all the designs and other information, which uh, will be updated in January with everything I've done in um, this year, which I do about 60 60 to 80 books a year, covers and interior, some just interior, so it's quite a bit. <laughs> and um, if you're interested in RV life and cooking, we are on YouTube um, at GF Explorers, which G and F stand for gluten-free because I am gluten and dairy-free and all our recipes are too, but don't let that scare you because we tell you how to make them gluten-full and dairy-full as well. Follow us around the country and see what we're doing in RV. And uh, yeah, it, it, uh, we have fun with it for sure. That is so awesome. Well, thank you so much, Victoria. Well, this has you. been Victoria Wolf and Kim Thompson Pinder on the Author to Authority podcast. I want to encourage you. I don't do this very often, but I encourage you to get my Author to Authority book. If you've enjoyed this conversation today and you really want to take your business to the next level with the book, that's the book on writing a book that takes your business to the next level and it is available on Amazon. But if you search it, Amazon tip, if you search it, put author to authority, Kim, you type in author to authority, the book will not show up. You type author to authority, Kim, the book shows up. Gotta love Amazon. <laughs>
Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you on the very next episode. Bye now. You've been listening to the Author to Authority podcast. The extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder, has helped over 200 entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches write and publish their books that have become incredible marketing tools for their business. And many of those have gone on to become Amazon best-selling authors and have used their books to land high-level clients and get on big stages. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at www.author2authoritypodcast.com. See you next time.